Hello, I'm Mike Lindell. Cancel culture has not only affected myself and my pillow, but millions of you out there. Before all this started, I had already written in my memoir. I dedicate this book to anyone that's looking for hope. Well, right now we're all looking for hope. I believe that my story is gonna bring inspiration and hope to everyone. By the time you're done reading my book, you will believe that with God, all things are possible. To thank you all for your support, I'm offering some of my best prices ever on my pillow products, including this exclusive bundle. You get my book and these five my pillows. They all have beautiful scenes and verses from the Bible, such as Isaiah 41:10. Do not fear, for I am with you. This six-pack bundle is regularly $219. Now it's just $99.98 and free shipping with your promo code. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code RENEGADE or call 800-889-6817 to receive this exclusive offer. Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, and as always, you're invited to join us, 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. That's 603-283-6160, and with you tonight, it's Aria. And Ian. And we've talked a lot about Christopher Cantwell over the last two years or so since he ended up in a federal trial for basically saying the same sort of things one might say to... At one 12 year old to another while playing Call of Duty online on Xbox or something like that. Chris Cantwell. Yeah, had an argument with another Nazi online. Yeah. Two Nazis fighting, and the FBI figured they'd spend taxpayer dollars to break up the Nazis from fighting and send one of them to uh, prison on taxpayer dollars. Isn't it amazing that the best way to have just resolved this whole thing would have been to just let let these Nazis continue destroying their own movement? They did fi- a fine job destroying their own movement. Like they, I remember Cantwell was all talking about how uh, the right, the alt-right or whatever was going to be on the rise after this uh, Charlottesville thing that happened. Uh, what was it called? Unite the Right rally? It was Unite the Right. And really the whole thing just fell apart. Well, it's certainly that. not on the rise. And nope. I can I can see why someone who intended the Unite the Right rally and, you know, felt energized by that whole thing because they're one of these alt-right people. I can see why after something like that they would think, oh, it's energized, it's going to be big now, but... In reality, it hasn't worked out that way. They immediately resorted to infighting, which isn't surprising. If you take a bunch of hateful, toxic people and you ask them to work together, it's just a matter of time before they're at each other's throats because that's what toxic and hateful people do. Well, I mean, not only is it what toxic and hateful people do, and they probably do it a lot worse than normal, but I mean, every organization is subject to this. Every one of them. They're That's just, true. It's just a people problem where people that just can't get along with one another. I mean, whenever you, I forget what the rule is, but somebody came up with one of those maxims or whatever that whenever a group gets larger than like 30 people, you start to have these issues where somebody else wants to take it over or they want to run it their way and then they get, or they get mad at somebody or somebody sleeps with somebody else's wife or, you know, there's always some sort of stupid, usually it's petty drama um, usually, between yeah. people. I'm not surprised to hear that, and I'm not surprised at what happened today. Evidently, mm-hmm. uh, if for those who don't remember, Christopher Cantwell is serving time in federal prison, but he was recently transported to North Carolina, where he and 16 other, quote, 
white nationalist leaders and organizations were being sued over the Unite the Right rally by various individuals and organizations. I believe he was transferred to Virginia. The trial was in Charlottesville. Thought it was North Carolina for some reason. Mm-hmm. No, he was being kept. He wasn't actually being kept at the Charlottesville jail, but he was at a jail in a nearby county. I stand corrected. Mm-hmm. So a jury has ordered seventeen of these people to pay twenty-six million dollars in damages over violence that erupted during the deadly two thousand seventeen Unite the Right rally. Oh man, yeah, I don't think any of these white nationalists have twenty-six million dollars. No, I can tell you, I um, you know, as somebody who. I mean, I'm technically not like officially Cantwell's minister or whatever, but I, sure. am a, I am a minister and I do try to minister peace to that man as much as I can. He needs it. And so I'm one of the few people who actually treats him like a human being and tries to, you know, show him love. So I clean, helped clean out his uh, apartment last year, which was actually not really an apartment as much as it was a house, like a full on, you know, full story house uh and a lot of that stuff i had to throw out he's got to his name at this point a storage unit's worth of some equipment i mean the dude doesn't have probably more than ten thousand dollars or fifteen thousand dollars worth of equipment and if you were to sell it at a uh you know a a craigslist or auction or something it probably wouldn't pull in more than five grand that's so sad that's that's all he's that's all he's got I saw an article about him in the Keen Sentinel today when I went to the store next door about him appealing his prison sentence. And it reminded me of the time when I realized that he's probably one of the most loneliest people in the United States. Mm. So I asked him, I was like, hey, you want to just... You mean prior to the prison sentence? Yes. Yeah. So I asked him, hey, do you want to just go to the bar and have a drink? Not even talk about politics or anything like that. Just chill and listen to some rock music, have a drink or go see a rock show or something. He was susceptible to the idea, but it never happened. For Mm -hmm. one, he said that he wouldn't be welcome in any of the bars in Keene, to which I responded, well, if you go there with me, I don't think anyone's going to just approach you and call you a hateful Nazi, right? <laughs> but it never happened, which sucks. For listeners that don't know, you're trans. Yes. I mean, he has to be lonely, and this is just rubbing salt in the mm-hmm. wounds that he's been repeatedly given for the last, you know, three years or whatever. Yeah, he Most already... Most to be fair, he did bring on himself. The reason... Yeah, absolutely, he did. Now, the reason why... That's not to say that this lawsuit was legitimate i mean i can't say that i know all the details in the case per se but essentially the lawsuit as i understand it was alleging that there was some sort of a conspiracy between the various different defendants most of uh, whom hate each other yeah they, these uh, various different defendants to create some sort of a violent encounter with the plaintiffs that's my understanding of it. If you were paying closer attention to this, feel free to uh, to give us a call at uh, 603-283-6160 and, and you know, give us more detail here. But you know, the, uh, the plaintiffs spent a lot of money, apparently, running this particular lawsuit on things like attorneys. Allegedly, millions, many millions of dollars uh, were spent just bringing this particular lawsuit. And so it's pretty clear that they wanted to punish these these men for the actions that they took. And essentially, Chris Cantwell's position on this was he didn't plan anything with these people. But ultimately, this is a civil case. And so it's not a reasonable doubt that a jury has to decide on. It's a question of preponderance of the evidence, which is a much lower legal level of, you know, that you have to reach in order to... Uh, to find somebody responsible in this particular case. So whereas in a criminal case, if there's any doubt, you know, any reasonable doubt that so-and-so didn't do the things that they're alleged to have done, you have to acquit. 
But in the case of preponderance of the evidence, it's more like, and again, I'm not an attorney, so I'm probably not giving the best example here, but a preponderance of the evidence is, well, what do you think's likely? Here, here's some evidence. What do you think's likely? I just always assumed that any jury trial was to be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -mm. Wow, that's not good for the United States, considering how many civil lawsuits there actually are on all sorts of nonsense. Right. And so, I mean, again, as you said, Cantwell put himself in these in this position. Uh, obviously, if he had never gone to this particular event, he wouldn't have been included in, in the lawsuit. And his position was that he didn't have any con- uh, such uh, contact with these people, that they didn't have any plans like that. His position was that they contacted the police, actually, in Charlottesville to get a permit for the event that they had and that it was the antifa people the ones who brought this lawsuit that were the ones who were not permitted to be there and yet they showed up anyway at that event and so his position would be that the reverse was true that the antifa people were there to start a fight and that he and his friends were not however obviously i I think the truth can be true on both sides as far as i suspect some on both sides wanted to have a fight that night I would suspect you're correct, but just based on what these ter- these groups are calling themselves, I mean, you have the fascists on one side mm-hmm. and the anti-fascists on the other side. The fascists were there first, and the anti-fascists, the people who describe themselves as opposing fascism, mm-hmm. were like, hey, there are fascists over there. Let's go punch them. Well, actually, as I understand the situation, the anti or antifa were there first in the park. So but even the, were they there because they knew the white nationalists were coming? That, yes, yeah, okay. they were. Uh, so the uh, the white nationalist people had themselves a permit. They talked to the cops and all that. So everybody knew when they were going to be there. It wasn't a surprise. And of course, there's infiltrators on both sides, right? So there's people from Antifa that have infiltrated the the uh, unite the right people in advance and were going to their meetings. So everybody knew when this was was going to go down and when the uh, the the tiki torch mob showed up there was already a group of the antifa people that were surrounding the war monument the civil war monument that was there well after a nearly month-long civil trial the jury and u.s district court deadlocked on two key claims but found the white nationalists were liable on four other claims and lawsuit filed by nine people who suffered physical or emotional injuries during the two days of demonstration so some number of people got their feelings hurt by this. And they're getting paid big time. Well, in theory, right, the, the court is ordering the defendants to pay this amount of money, but I doubt any of them have this kind of I money. I have no idea. We're going to talk more but about whatever this. whatever they have is now the defendants, or the uh, the plaintiffs. And this is all about sending a message, it looks like, and we're going to talk more about it. You can weigh in, 603-283-6160. What do you think about jury trials not having to be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt in civil cases? It's Free Talk Live. Share your thoughts and opinions, 603-283-6160 if you'd like to do that. Again, that's 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And we're talking about Chris Cantwell and 16 other white nationalist organizations and individuals who have been ordered in, I've already forgotten the state, in Charlottesville at the very least. It's Virginia. Virginia. I it's stuck in, as one of the Carolinas in my mm. head. I don't even know which one, but that's how it's stuck in my head. Been ordered to pay $27 million, and 
I, I just don't think any of the defendants actually have that kind of money. I think a lot of them were representing themselves because they no, couldn't even... actually only a couple of them were, from what I understand. Okay. Yeah, Cantwell was one of like two people representing themselves. Well, that's encouraging at least. He, as I understand it, is facing like $750,000 liability on this one. I, I liked hearing the comments about, you know, the prosecutors saying or the attorneys for the pr- plaintiff saying, this is not a podcast, Your Honor, because, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's Chris Cantwell. So, of course, you give him the stand and he's going to talk like he's doing an episode of his podcast. Yeah, he did, uh, including like saying words that he would say on his podcast as well <laughs> in front of the jury. I am not at all surprised by that because I was in his studio. I did, was on his show a couple of times. And he had mm-hmm. signs there telling him, tell, reminding himself not to say certain words all the time. Yeah. Attorney Roberta Kaplan said the plaintiff's lawyers plan to refile the suit so a new jury can decide the two deadlocked claims. Oh, my God. She didn't God. specify what those were. She called the amount of damages awarded from the other counts, quote, eye-opening that sends a loud message. Wow. The verdict, although mixed, is a rebuke to the white nationalist movement, particularly for the two dozen individuals and organizations accused in a federal lawsuit of orchestrating violence against African Americans, Jews, and others in a meticulously planned conspiracy. I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah, that's what I want to know about. I mean, if that's really true... I'd like to know about it. And, and obviously, I'm not going to sit there and listen to a week, weeks-long trial. Some, somebody did, though, so feel free to break it down for us. Yeah. Uh, are they referring to this trial here when they, when they refer to that? They, said it sounds, they make it sound like they've been brought up on you know, federal charges of orchestrating violence. Like, I've that's not a heard cr- about that. Orchestrating violence is a criminal matter, right? Uh, yeah, I have not heard about any such charges. I haven't either, uh, and they didn't include a link. However, I do know that back when I was using Telegram, I was in a number of white nationalist chats, not because I'm a white nationalist, but because I just kept getting added to them. And it was amusing to me to stay in them and just screw with them. Mm -hmm. And it's not meticulously planned at all. It's the most disorganized, Mm. nonsensical chaos I've ever seen. White nationalist leader Richard Spencer filed two appeals saying... The entire theory of that verdict is fundamentally flawed, and I tend to agree based on what I've heard about. They weren't communicating, planning any sort of violence or anything like that. It just Mm -hmm. sort of happened. It was activism. Yeah, again, I suspect. Now, look, that's not to say there probably weren't some that were. Yes, but that's very different from, you know, the leaders planning for that to happen. And Chris Campbell's not a fool. Okay, I mean, he's done some stupid things, but so has everybody in their lives. Sure. Um, Cantwell's done some explicitly stupid things, but he's at the same time relatively intelligent. So I don't I just I find it hard to believe that Cantwell would want to plan something like this. I think that he probably planned for the possibility that there could be violent encounters in that he armed himself and went down there with the intention to defend himself. But again, maybe I haven't. Obviously, I haven't seen all the evidence in the case. So you know what? It, what is it that we're missing here? It's just it's hard to believe. Knowing Chris personally, uh, it's hard to believe that he would have been doing something like that. Like his his public position was: we had a we had a permit. Uh, we talked to the cops. You know, this wasn't some sort of planned violent attack. All the more reason to just not talk to the cops, really. It didn't help at all in this case, did it? It almost never does. The ones who talked to the cops, some of them ended up in jail, and a lot of them just ended up being ordered to pay $27 mm-hmm. million in damages. Mm-hmm. That's what talking to the cops gets you. 
Well, and also hanging around with these white nationalist people. True. Richard Spencer goes on, it was activism by means of lawsuits, and that is absolutely outrageous. I'm doing fine right now because I had kind of accepted in my heart the worst that could happen. Hmm. I had hoped, of course, but I'm not terribly surprised. Jurors were unable to reach unanimous verdicts on two pivotal claims based on a 150-year-old federal law passed after the Civil War, which was meant to shield freed slaves from violence and protect their civil rights. The Ku Klux Klan Act contains a rarely used provision that allows private citizens to sue other citizens for civil rights violations. Mm. Under those claims, thank goodness they're going to explain it further because that was not very clear. The plaintiffs asked the jury to find that the defendants engaged in a conspiracy to commit racially motivated violence and that they knew about the conspiracy but failed to stop it from being carried out. So the jurors could not agree on that? Yes. Okay, interesting. Which? So what the hell claims did they agree on? I thought that was the thrust of the case. So what are the other ones? I'm, I'm hoping they get into it. Like, where the $27 million or whatever, the uh, 750000 for Cantwell, what were those claims? Well, the jury did find the defendants liable under a Virginia state law conspiracy claim and awarded $11 million in damages to the plaintiffs. Jurors also found five of the main organizers liable under a claim that alleged they subjected two of the plaintiffs to intimidation, harassment, or violence that was motivated by racial, religious, or ethnic animosity. The jury awarded the plaintiffs $1.5 million in damages on that claim. Hmm. It doesn't specify which one of the five organizers of the rally they're referring to. The final two claims were made against James Alex Fields Jr., an avowed Hitler admirer who intentionally drove his car into a crowd of counter-protesters, killing one person and injuring 19 others. The jury found Fields, who is serving life in prison for murder and hate crimes, liable under 60, I'm sorry, $6.8 million in damages. The jury awarded the same plaintiffs nearly six. Well, he's never paying a dime of that, obviously. He's in prison. Yes, it's a complete nonsensical nonsensical claim. Mm -hmm. Will the government pay these for him? No, God, no. Okay. Hire's mother, Susan Bro, said that the verdict sends a very clear message that hate speech put into action has consequences. Now, I don't remember the details entirely, but it seems like the guy who was driving the car was just trying to go to a place, if I remember correctly. And as was all of the trend at the time, they said, we're going to block traffic. And instead of doing what everyone else does and just stopping, this guy decided, no, I'm going to I'm going to keep going. You're in the road. I have the right of way. I don't remember if that's actually what happened, but that was how I understood it at the time. Well, he doesn't have the right of way, and he was found guilty of murder. Yeah, I just don't know if I agree with that assessment, because I, w- I was in Memphis when Black Lives Matter shut down the I-40 mm-hmm. and completely halted tra- traffic for like a 12-hour period. If someone had somewhere to actually be, can't say I, I would think they were guilty of murder because someone decided they wanted to try to stop traffic. Not that I condone that, but... It's definitely at least a gray area, in my opinion. Well, apparently the jury disagreed on that case. They did. Because they found him guilty. The defendants were convicted. And I suspect there were some reasons for it, right? Like, you know, the, like the, the guy... I don't know. Juries like to find people guilty. That's, that's true. But did you see this, the uh, Wisconsin dude who bl- uh, plowed through like 40 people a couple days ago? I did. Yeah. You think that was just a dude who was frustrated? No, he had actually done the same thing previously, like just a few days prior. Really? He had like run over his girlfriend or wife or oh, something, wow. and he was out on bail for doing that when he did this. 
603-283-6160. If I'm wrong about how I remember this, definitely call in and correct me. 603-283-6160. When a lunar observatory detects a radio broadcast originating from Proxima Centauri, the nations of Earth discover their first contact with an alien race may also be their last. With the Proximans facing an extinction-level disaster, Earth must choose between sending a ship on a multi-year journey or allowing nature to take its course. Saving Proxima, a hard science fiction thriller by Travis S. Taylor and Les Johnson from BaneBooks.com. It's Free Talk Live. You're invited to join us. Share your thoughts and opinions. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to do that. That's 603-283-6160. Now, not everyone who has something valid and relevant to say can be a beautiful Instagram influencer, right? That That's really a very niche category of people who are both clever and funny and you want to hear what their recommendations are because you think they're fascinating and they're also attractive to look at. Yeah, that's pretty hard to find. Except on Instagram, but that's just because that's where all those people with those characteristics went. But Mm -hmm. even then, the vast majority of people on Instagram aren't going to be one of those. So what do these people do if they have something intelligent they want to say or something they want to express, but they're ugly? (laughs) They use a virtual influencer. Maybe so. And I do (laughs) want to get into that. I know you want to jump into this, but I was just I just pulled something else up on the Charlottesville situation. I thought, you know, we should share here about this because the the big question on Charlottesville is, well, what exactly was the evidence that persuaded the jury to find that first of all, the jury would not find them uh, would not find the Nazis in that case or the white supremacists or white nationalists or whatever. They're different people, right? They're 16 or whatever different uh, defendants in that case. They wouldn't find them responsible on the two federal conspiracy to commit violence charges. But there was a they did find them responsible for a civil charge in uh, Virginia. So the federal charges, no. But for whatever reason, the federal court was able to hear the Virginia civil allegations and they found them uh, responsible of that. And that's where, you know, millions of dollars are being awarded as damages uh, in this case. So looking at this story from NPR, the defendants tried to distance themselves from fields. The guy that, you know, got convicted of murder for running into a woman in, in his car in testimony and said they engaged in violence only when they were attacked. They also said their language on internet forums and chat rooms was hyperbolic and protected by the First Amendment. And it should have been, because that's what the First Amendment was designed to do, is protect the ugly speech. James Kolnick, who was the attorney for a couple of the plaintiffs, said in his closing speech, quote, The bravery of the plaintiffs and the horrific injuries that many of them suffered don't prove a conspiracy. They've proven to you that the alt-right is the alt-right. They're racist. They're anti-Semites. No kidding. You knew that when you walked in here. Uh, Sure. Civil trials have a lower burden than criminal ones to prove their case, as we mentioned. As a result, the plaintiffs didn't need to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, but instead only a preponderance of the evidence, which is more likely to be true than not true. Which is a completely useless judgment call 
that is completely subjective to the individual. Well, that sounds more reasonable to me. Right. So basically, it sounds to me like the plaintiffs didn't have to actually present any real evidence of a conspiracy just to simply say that, hey, look, these guys are bad guys. They came together on this night, so obviously they planned to come together on this night. It's not unbelievable that they also planned to be violent, even though we don't have any real evidence that they plan to be violent. And the jury, of course, looks at these guys and they're, you know, a-holes. And, you know, Chris Cantwell certainly wasn't a nice guy when he was speaking to them, right? Like he was trying to be nice guy Chris Cantwell, but he peppered his words with the N-word and other, you know, whatever. So he clearly was a despicable... In the courtroom. Yeah, pl- clearly was a despicable character. Didn't yeah. win over the jury as I think he had hoped that he was going to. And they found him... Shocking. Uh, yeah, they found him <laughs> responsible along with everyone else. Lawyers with the plaintiffs have acknowledged... Now, this is interesting because this is what... Cantwell was alleging about this case that it was basically brought to destroy him financially and the other defendants. Lawyers with the plaintiffs acknowledged that one of the goals of the lawsuit was to diminish the ability of white supremacists to spread their message and influence by draining them financially. Amy Spitalnik, the executive director of Integrity Man, First. That's really not the way you know, free speech and the exercise of free speech was supposed to work in the United States. Right. So here's what one of their attorneys uh, said, a director of Integrity First for America. She said in an interview with NPR in October, quote, we know that we can really bankrupt, disrupt and dismantle hate groups and their leaders through civil litigation. I mean, especially if they don't even really need evidence, they just need to persuade the jury that this is this is more likely than not true. Right. So basically, anytime these people get together, you have a group of people who are against them show up, some sort of a, you know, fracas ensues, somebody gets hurt or whatever, and then the people who showed up to counter-protest, which is what the Antifa people were doing there, they were doing yes. a counter-protest, they get to say things like they were scared for their lives. Some plaintiffs were uh, said they were terrified for their lives at this event. At this event that they went to voluntarily with correct. the intention of protesting the white nationalists. That's right. So they knew yeah. what they were doing when they went there. Correct. Yep. Uh, but they said that the white supremacists encircled the counter-protesters. Yes, because and, they were at the place that the protesters, the right. Unite the Right people, were scheduled to go to. Right. So basically, any protest now that some group doesn't like, they can go and get into a fight at that protest, claim that they were outnumbered or scared you know, for their lives and that the people they were against are really bad guys and get millions of dollars in judgments against them. Because they have a group of attorneys who are willing to file basically these frivolous civil cases and tie these dudes up in uh, in court for. I mean, they're, they're saying they're going to take uh, they're going to sue again, right, on these two charges where they couldn't like find the, the where the jury did not find them responsible. The two federal charges. They're saying they're going to bring another suit. Is there not such a thing as double jeopardy in civil I don't, suits? I, I guess not absolutely absurd how different yeah. civil suits are from criminal suits the, the term that cantwell used was lawfare instead of warfare yeah. lawfare using the law using the system using the civil court system to financially punish people that you don't like and that's pretty sick it is and that's exactly what they've admitted to doing and mm-hmm. th- they're happy about it like hey this they got is, away with it this is eye-opening this is i don't know if they're actually going to get any money out of these people it seems like, it, and at least in some cases, that's going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible. But still, well, whatever money they have is is to the you know to the defendants at this point. And so, you know, even if they had something, now they have nothing. 
Yeah, if they wanted to destroy the right or the alt-right, this was definitely a successful method of doing so, but an immoral one. And and look, I mean, I don't agree with the things that these people have to say, but I also agree with the idea of free speech. And I think that this is the intention, as they're saying, is to chill their free speech. And so I have to oppose uh, these uh, these methods, even though I don't agree with the, the alt-right. I think they should be free to go to a damn protest and you know have it without having to fight with people that oppose them and then lose you know in civil court i think that's this is pretty sick not to mention some of them land in prison well no i don't think christopher kentwell went to prison he went to jail uh while he was awaiting trial from charlottesville there were uh there were state level charges that were brought against him for uh for assault or battery or whatever and he took a plea deal on that and a process that they had scheduled to gone to and antifa went there first yeah antifa showed up with obviously the intention to get into something with them because they knew it would work i mean some of the white nationalists went to jail and they all just got sued well a fair number of them just got sued yeah got everything handed over in a federal courtroom yeah i mean this is this is clearly an attack on freedom of speech and the thing is you got to remember about free speech is they're going to come after the un the un uh attractive ones first the ones that are ugly yes. the, the ugly opinions those are the ones that are going to get targeted and so shame on this jury if you know unless there was actually evidence for a conspiracy to commit violence then it sounds to me like they just punished these people because they didn't like them and that's wrong it is wrong and i mean you're absolutely right we obviously don't agree with the alt right we don't support them they're racist there's we're on the record repeatedly disavowing them and you know they're silly reasons for being racist in the first place but that's why they should be allowed to have free speech because we're allowed to have free speech to point out why they're incorrect right we want to counter that with more speech not with lawsuits yeah lawsuits are not a way to achieve anything positive Mm -mm. especially not over frivolous nonsense like this where these 17 people just happen to organize a rally so you and your antifa buddies who are anti-fascist go to this rally of fascists and there's a fight and then suddenly people are in jail and you have 27 million dollars in damages coming over from the alt-right destroying their movement which isn't necessarily a bad thing but it wasn't done in the right way. You should have argued against them and destroyed their movement that way. And now they're going to be empowered to do it more. Hopefully there won't be more Unite the Right rallies, though. 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. Cryptocurrencies, regrettably. It's fallen down to number 21. And this may leave people out there wondering, well, what even is Bitcoin Cash? What makes it different from Bitcoin? What is any of this? And what is a cryptocurrency? Head on over to Bitcoin.com. Click Getting Started at the top of the page. There you can watch a few short videos that will teach you the basics about this technology. And it's important. It's been around for more than a decade now. It's clearly not going anywhere it's well past time for you to learn about it because it could change your life bitcoin.com has everything you need to know about cryptocurrency you can get as deep into it as you want but if you already know about cryptocurrency stay up to date on the latest headlines at news.bitcoin.com all on a sleek easy to use modern website 
That's Bitcoin.com. It's interesting, though, uh, looking at the CoinGecko website, which is one of those... There's two really big sites, CoinMarketCap.com and CoinGecko.com, that kind of give you a ranking of the different cryptos out there. And it's not entirely accurate to say that Bitcoin Cash is the number 21 cryptocurrency because there's a lot of Bit or there's a lot of Ethereum tokens that have gathered a lot of popularity and a lot of uh, market size or market value. I know and personally, so- if I was making a website that monitored and tracked these things. I would not include any ERC-20 tokens, with the exception of maybe the huge ones like Tether. Well, a neat thing is that you can actually filter them out. Oh. So if you click on the... If you uh, exclude the things that aren't actually cryptocurrencies and are actually tokens on a blockchain... Right. If Now, they may not... They, I don't think it's a perfect list. So, for instance, like when you, uh, you can click on categories and then select just cryptocurrency and... If you do that, then the list goes 1 Bitcoin, 2 Ripple, 3 Dogecoin, 4 Litecoin, 5 Algorand, don't know what that one is, 6 Bitcoin Cash. So that would make Bitcoin Cash number 6. And uh, and you know even down the list a little bit, Dash is like number, I think it's number 10. Dash is number 10 on that list, but if you look at Dash on the full list, it's number 82. Wow, that so, many tokens and other Yeah, garbage. other non-cryptos, basically. It's just full of tokens. How's now, Monero doing on the ranking? Now, that's the thing. They leave out some of them. So Monero's uh, left out of cryptocurrency. I don't know why. Uh, that's They curious. leave out Bitcoin SV. So it's not a perfect... It's not a perfect list, but it is a way to cut a lot of things out. I think there's also a filter method as well that you can you can filter stuff. So it, you, you can kind of whittle down the list and, and do mean, what if you're you, talking about. If you whittled it down the right way, you could set it up so that Bitcoin Cash is the number one in the category, right? Just define the terms to exclude Bitcoin and Ripple and the others. And eventually, hey, look at that. <laughs> well, I mean, that sounds like it'd be a little dishonest because right sure. now Dogecoin is more of a uh, popular cryptocurrency than Bitcoin Cash as far as its market cap is uh, is concerned. Which but is shocking to, to me. It's not to say it's as useful. Um, you can certainly use Bitcoin Cash way more. You can use Dash uh, way more. There's so many more opportunities to actually spend those things than to do things like with with Litecoin or, or Dogecoin. Yeah, I remember when I first got to Keen years ago asking one of the business owners if they accepted Litecoin because I happened to have some. And the answer I got then was no. And I was like, okay, well, I'll... Flipping into Bitcoin Cash or something, which mm-hmm. was very easy to do at the time because Shapeshift hadn't added their KYC requirements yet. If I remember which the time rid of, correctly, by the way, they have because they decentralized. Good they, on them yeah, for that. They're in the process of becoming a decentralized autonomous organization and getting rid of their corporation completely. And they've moved over to the Thor chain, which is a decentralized exchange where you can actually swap between what they call level one cryptos. So like Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum and uh, there's a few others, uh, but they, it's pretty interesting. And so uh, if, so the Shapeshift folks have actually embraced the decentralized structure and they've gotten That's rid really of KYC. Yeah. I'm That's my understanding, that. at least. I always preferred them over Changely back in the day mm-hmm. when I actually regularly shifted cryptocurrencies from one to another for whatever reason. Changely was misleading about what the fee was actually going to be because it mm. wouldn't tell you the fee up front. Oh, that's not good. It would just add it at Surprise. the end and you're like, oh, I didn't get as much Ethereum as I thought I was going to. Oof. Well, Ethereum. But, yeah. <laughs> or whatever cryptocurrency. But Shapeshift would tell you at the beginning, hey, look, this is how much mm-hmm. BCH you're sending. This is how much BTC you're going to get. Yep. Changely, not so much. So I always liked Shapeshift, and they were like, oh, no, we have to KYC you. 
And then their account creation process was weird, and I didn't remember which email address I used, so I ended up with like six different ShapeShift accounts at one point. I was just like, I I don't even need this anymore. (laughs) I have no need for ShapeShift, so I'm just, I'm I'm done with it now. Yeah, I'm glad they went the direction that they did. That was a smart move. Yeah, decentralized finance is going to be a big deal. I suspect that's part of the reasons that this is able to happen for them is because of the DeFi revolution that seems to be taking place. Yep, absolutely. And it makes them less susceptible to government targeting because they don't they're they're not gonna have a corporate office. Yeah, there's no head to chop off, so there's nothing you can do. Yeah. It's just decentralized. That's the beauty of decentralization, really, is it? And it's what the government hates about (laughs) cryptocurrency. That's why I love it so much though, Mm -hmm. because it it just makes them so angry and there's really nothing they can do about it because there's no Bitcoin programmer that they can just assassinate to make Bitcoin go away. It's so frustrating uh, to be able to talk about it. Like, we can talk about <laughs> cryptocurrency, but you and I are under bail conditions, as are the rest of the Crypto Six, where we can't actually use cryptocurrency. So we can't go and support our favorite businesses with crypto in the area anymore that we helped set up to take crypto. That there's, you know, in a lot of cases, their preferred method of, of payment. They won't let us uh, do that. And I have to, you know, I'm still interested in crypto, so I still, I still read about it. it. I still read about it. Are you allowed to read about it now? Can you actually, you have your lesson? It, it depends your... on the website, but okay. yeah, essentially. But a crypto news site you could go to as long as you can't buy or, or sell crypto there, right? It depends on okay. the reason I'm going there. Gotcha. Uh, well, I, yeah, I am able to read things about cryptocurrency. And so it's like, there's so many cool things that are going on out there. And it's like, can't do anything about it yeah like the uh the stupid art project things the uh nfts, NFTs. yeah the, the brilliant idea we had to make the ultimate nft which was just a single black pixel and sell it as the root of all that is right yeah that you did make, make the art yes i i went out of my I, I took <laughs> 12 minutes of my life to reduce a paint.net which is similar to paint but it actually uh-huh. has pngs and transparency layers and stuff like that to create a one by one black pixel and save it as a piece of art yeah but unfortunately we can't cr- turn it into an nft no and we can't even ask someone to right so it's like a, okay yeah. we we have to have someone volunteer to do this and that's never it's going to happen. happen because i can't just do it myself and to do something that stupid i probably would have bothered to learn how to turn this into an nft because it would have just amused me to do it and that's the mm-hmm. reason i do most things but regrettably can't access can't do that yeah even and it's not worth it like it's creating an nft accessing you know crypto a virtual currency is like i don't i don't want to fight that battle over something stupid like a black yeah, pixel thanks so but a lot of people were having success with nfts and I, I think it sort of died down these days. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, really? No, I don't think so. I mean, there's still plenty of people like the caller we had a few weeks ago who, from what I could gather from talking to him, he didn't really seem to know what NFTs were. He just heard that they were all the craze, and he just sort of wanted to you know, get in on that. Somebody launched a website called the NFT Bay. And they put a torrent up with like all of the NFTs. Nice. They like right clicked and <laughs> saved all the JPEGs or whatever, and they put them all together in a torrent. So if you want to get every NFT that are available on like these different NFT selling sites out there, then you can now do that. I love that because one of my <laughs> primary c- criticisms of NFTs is that they are just a way of doing copyright without the government. And I don't support intellectual property. Mm. Even when it's not the government. You can't own an idea. Yeah, I, I think that 
I'm of kind of mixed feelings about it. I think it's a craze, and I think that it is going to you know die away to some extent. But at the on the other hand, I think there are some interesting applications of it. I think the oh here's a JPEG of a rock or a you know monkey or whatever that's pretty you know uninteresting to me personally, and why anyone would pay the the kind of money that they're paying for these things makes no sense. But I think there are some interesting things. So, like, Quentin Tarantino, for instance, recently announced that he was going to do special NFTs of Pulp Fiction, like, give somebody some unreleased clip or something like that. So, if you okay, really see, that's do... that's cool. Right. So, if you really do get something that's uncopyable, something that's never been seen before, like where I think Kevin Smith said he was going to release an entire movie to somebody, a movie that no one has ever seen before, that he's making or made just for this purpose, to whoever is the top bidder. They get the total rights to the film. They can do whatever they want. They could keep it for themselves and watch it you know, in their own, you know, home theater and never share it with anyone else, or they can, you know, release it worldwide, give it away, charge for it. That's an interesting way to approach NFTs where you actually are really giving something, something or giving away something unique to somebody. Do you remember? That's interesting. Uh, Pharma bro, uh, Martin mm-hmm. Shkreli. Yeah. Yep. He bought a Wu-Tang album that was previously unreleased and okay. he is the only person, he may have released this as I don't know, but they did all of that where he bought this unique one copy Wu-Tang album without using NFTs. Right. So I'm not sure where the NFT is really necessary. Well, the NFT makes it easy to bid, right? Because oh, you can just true. put it up on one of these NFT sites, and then you don't have to do anything else, you know, with Sotheby's Auction House or whoever the hell would you'd have to do it with otherwise. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Is your broken heart stopping you from being authentically happy? My name is Jeremy West, and for a limited time, I am running a free online class to teach you what most people don't know about how to deal with your feelings. The simple way to deal with your negative thinking, the key to breaking your unhealthy relationship patterns, and so much more. No more feeling like a failure who will never find true love. No more self-medicating and ending up feeling even more miserable. And no more feeling like you'll never be someone who deserves an amazing partner. Sound good? You'll discover a new way to finally feel validated and loved. To stop trying to get your self-worth from the very people who tear it down and to put you in control of your own happiness so you never surrender that control to another person again in as little as eight weeks. Register now for my free online class at beyondyourbreakup.com slash free class. That's beyondyourbreakup.com slash free class. Free Talk Live. Second hour of the show tonight. Coming up, we're going to talk about virtual influencers as well as seven things one author would do if they wanted to keep poor people poor. We've been talking about, you know, cryptocurrencies and NFTs and stuff like that. Uh, But last night we were having an interesting discussion about psychedelics and this certain type of toad, a bufo toad, I believe the name of Mm -hmm. it was, that excreted some sort of venom that people were... With 5-MeO-DMT inside of it. Yes, mm-hmm. a, a different form of DMT from what we under, from what we were able to gather, if well, I remember I watched correctly. A, uh, Bonnie and I watched a video of somebody on YouTube taking this toad venom and uh, like vaporizing it in one of these retreat centers down in the Amazon or something like that. And he was definitely like completely 
out of it. Like really going like gurgling, laying down, like making noises like that. Like I'm not sure I want to experience that. Yeah, it was pretty wild. He's he loved it though when he came out of it. (laughs) He was like, I love everyone when he came out. That's good. But we have a caller calling about exactly that subject. Eric, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, everybody. Um, hey. Yeah, uh, sorry, this is my first time ever calling in. I'm a long-time listener, but I was listening to the episode uh, yesterday, and as far as milking the toads, um, it's not illegal to have the toads. It is illegal to milk them, hmm. but I would not suggest people doing that. Um, from personal experience, I've had pet bar, uh the bufalvarius toads in the past Mm -hmm. and i have milked them um and maybe other people know how to do it correctly but i did a lot of reading on it whenever i was into that type of thing and every time i did it they would always scream and i did not like the way that they uh i did not like the way that they acted and that's um, not cool yeah i can imagine not i mean you're basically torturing in that circumstance you're torturing this creature so you can get a a high high off of its pain yeah, just get the synthetic stuff and be done yeah, with it. Yeah, that's what I would recommend. And yeah, now, b- b- Before you go is- on, one of the questions we had last night was, is there a significant difference between normal, quote-unquote, DMT, just like freebase DMT or vape cart DMT or whatever, and 5-MeO DMT? Have you done both, and can you speak to that? Yes, uh, I've done various forms of DMT. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say... 5-MeO DMT, not only does it look different, like once it's dried out, because mm-hmm. you do have to milk it, dry it out, and it almost looks like cellophane or plastic once it's dried out, but um, the effects of it, it's much more intense, but in my experience, at least, you don't even really get much of a visual effect. Okay, wow. so it's just more of a mental high. Yes, and a physical. But right. Yeah, and I would definitely not recommend people licking it. Uh, there are other chemicals in the venom um, that I think get, if I remember right, get out of it whenever you dry it out, um, and it can actually make you sick. That's why it is mm. a venom. So you definitely right. don't want to go licking those. So that's why in. people dry it out and smoke it to prevent themselves from getting sick from the other chemicals that presumably dry out while the DMT doesn't. Yes. From what I've understand, my reading, uh, it's been a long time since I've messed around with any of that. But, uh, yeah, and also, it's really sad. There's been a, in the Sonoran Desert, um, from the research I've done, there's been a lot of damage done to the toads out there due to incorrect information on how to actually use the DMT. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are killing toads and abusing them. Oh, so I would just recommend... Uh, not doing that. <laughs> Good advice, man. Yeah, thank you so much for, for the call that. tonight, Eric. Uh, I wish you had been able to call last night. I mean, uh, it sounds to me like you're a podcast listener rather than a mm-hmm. live show listener. But uh, we had a lot more questions last night than we do at the moment, I think, because you ended up watching a number of videos and I just got distracted with other stuff that I ended up looking into. No, he answered my main questions, so you know, it's very interesting. It is. I. It still sounds like synthetic would be the way to go yeah, if one yeah, was absolutely. going to do this. Um, not not the least of which it's less disgusting than smoking toad venom. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's no part of that that sounds, sounds appealing. Really bad. Yeah. yeah. And it, it probably doesn't taste very good either. I don't well, know. Well, generally DMT doesn't taste very good. So it probably tastes even worse coming from toad venom. I, I would have to imagine it does. DMT tastes like you're smoking a you know, PVC pipe. 
It just tastes like melting plastic, in my experience. I don't remember the taste. Uh, Well, I'm a smoker, so I wouldn't Mm -hmm. really pay much attention to that in the first place. Anyway, do your your research. uh, Go to arrowid.org and learn about any sort of psychedelic you plan on doing. You never want to go into that uh, blind, even though obviously you can't can't really know what the experience is going to be. But again, having a sitter, somebody who's present with you, uh, somebody ideally who has had psychedelic experiences before and who will not be engaging in the same thing at the same time you are I mean, especially if you can end up, you know, gurgling on the floor or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they were literally, like, wiping away the uh, spittle that was coming out of his mouth. I I mean, I don't think he was going to choke on it or anything, but it was just, you know... uh, Unsightly. Did not look good for the video. (laughs) 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 There's, like, almost 500,000 views of this particular video, so it's it's not hard to find if you want to see what it was like, at least from the outside. Obviously, you can't see it from his perspective. Does it show them from the beginning, like, extracting the toad venom? No. Okay. No, it's just just him kind of, like, talking about what he's going to do, and then they bring over, uh, like, a... A vial, and they—it's uh, whatever the venom is—is is at the bottom of it. They to- they uh, they heat it, so they're vaporizing whatever's there, and then he just inhales it. Sounds like an intense experience, and it it really doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But this guy enjoyed it, evidently. He sure did. So. And I have to say, when I've done DMT, I enjoyed it, but I didn't end up, you know, gurgling on the floor or anything like that. Right. It's a pretty powerful head trip, but you can have quite a journey on a psychedelic experience, I suppose, without actually having to, I guess, be awake to experience it. In the same way that you can have some really good dreams mm-hmm. without being awake to actually experience them. just not. Sh- I'm just not sold on the idea of using DMT to that level where you just sort of completely... What was the phrase that Bonnie said they called? Breakthrough or blast off yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Just not sold on whether or not I would want to ever experience that. It's apparently quite, uh, quite interesting. I, I can't imagine. I've not gone that far, though, for <laughs> but, the same reason. But you had a story last night about Asia's virtual influencers. Yeah, and it's not just Asia that's doing this, but that's what this particular story is about. Uh, there are these sort of fake characters on you know Instagram or wherever else. And but let me give you the story here from Beijing and Yahoo News reporting: sporting neon hair and flawless skin, Bangkok Naughty Boo is one of a new that's naughty boo boo is one of a new generation of influencers in Asia promising to stay forever young on trend and scandal free because they're computer generated blurring the lines between fantasy and reality these stars are hugely popular with teenagers in the region and will yield increasing power as interest grows in the metaverse what? say industry experts what was the name of this influencer Asian Naughty Boo. Bangkok Naughty Boo. Sounds dirty, but no. So these people know that this person is not real. I presume they do know that. Quote, I'm 17 forever, non-binary, with a dream of becoming a pop star. Bangkok Naughty Boo, who uses they, them pronouns, said in an introductory video sent to AFP, created by fashion designer Adisak... Jirakasim and his friends who envisioned a gender-fluid persona to hang the ideals of the artist community. The character is one of a tribe of made-in-Thailand virtual influencers born from COVID-19 pressures. In September, I, Ailin, made her debut. She was created after her agency became frustrated by the limitations of human influencers during COVID-19 lockdowns. Bangkok Naughty Boo, for what, it wor- for what it's worth, uh, does look fake. Okay. It's not convincing. Like there, there's something weird about it. 
Yeah, and I'm looking at a picture here of I Eileen. She does look fake-ish, but at a glance, you might think she was real. Um, and there are websites, by the way. I don't know if you've seen the one where they just generate a new human being wherever you go have, to the, the page. I was on the show the night you found that. It was uh, unsettling. It's how, amazing how, how those real, look. Yeah, they look absolutely like realistic, normal faces. Yeah, so if somebody wants to make a fake influencer that looks real, they could absolutely do that. It would not be hard to do these days. No, at all. it'd be easy. I mean, deep fakes are a thing. They yeah. could make these influencers they make actually on video. Yeah, so we could talk more about this. Yeah, blurring the line between reality and fiction and the, the metaverse that they're still pimping. 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in on it. Sounds to me like it's going to be a dystopian nightmare. Human influencers, look out. It's Aria. It's Ian. And we've been suspended from Nemo TV again, and we're currently not streaming to, I think it's Nono TV or something like that. Nono Live, yeah. We're still not streaming to YouTube, obviously, because if we do, we're going to probably get the channel permanently deleted. Yeah. So if you're tired of having to jump across video streaming platforms in order to find us, don't worry. It's... We know it's a problem, and we have already implemented a solution. You can find it at video.freetalklive.com. That takes you directly to our Odyssey channel. And there we don't have to worry about getting censored over medical misinformation or being anti-government or what was the or, or, or even just political can get you kicked off of some streaming yeah, platforms. So video.freetalklive.com. There's more than a million channels there already and more coming every day of disaffected YouTube users who are just sick of being restricted everywhere. So check it out. It's video.freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones. We have Turd Ferguson calling. Turd, you're on Free Talk Live. Yeah. Hey, guys. I appreciate you guys taking my call. So um, I'm calling about a movie that I saw this afternoon and... It, I was excited about it for a while because I'm actually a pretty pretty big fan of the franchise. I kind of grew up during the during the start of it, but it's the new Resident Evil movie. Now you uh, watched this to today. Raccoon. I thought it wasn't releasing until tomorrow, based on yeah. So all the posters, I don't, I actually don't know what the real day it was supposed to come out, but I do know some theaters opened it yesterday, hmm. and then a few more theaters had it today. And then I think the official opening day was supposed to be tomorrow, but okay. I caught it today. Okay, so when you and, say you're uh, a friend, fan of this franchise, do you mean the video games or do you mean the movies? Um, I'm a fan of both of them, actually. Okay. E- even the original movies with Mila Jovovich, who is smoking sexy, in my opinion, um, she just made she she just made the original six movies, in my opinion, and they were awesome because of her. But, um, but yeah, they're clearly, movies, uh, I, I believe she married the director of those films, wow. Paul Anderson, uh, yeah. if I recall correctly. And so clearly he really loves uh, his wife and, you know, wants to keep her going as a, as a star and an action star. And uh, they're just, they're basically just vehicles for her to be kicking ass in slow motion and looking, uh, looking awesome, you know, doing it. So 
They're fun. They're yeah. fun throwaway movies. They're not worth anything except for one view. If you if you like things that go, I've boom. never seen any of them. Yeah, if you like if you like action movies with no real depth or uh, or plot whatsoever, then you know. See, zombies. that was my issue when they first came out with the Resident Evil movies. Being a fan of the games, that was my first question. Okay, well, which game is it based on? They're like, it's not based on any of the games. I was like, then I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> Well, I mean, it has its similarities. Like, there's the, the some of the enemies in the movies are from the games, from what I understand. And I and that's just me as somebody who yeah. But there were Goombas in the 1980s Super Mario Brothers movie too. But it was still a terrible movie. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, they're entertaining. They're better than that. They're entertaining. So yeah, how- um, I actually I like them actually, but um, uh, but I was gonna say um, the new one's a total reboot though. It's got right. totally new characters in it. And it's supposed to be like the game. Doesn't yes, this it's one based on the first two Resident Evil video games? Yeah, isn't it more of a prequel exactly. than uh, than a reboot? No it's, no, it's definitely a reboot. Okay, it's definitely a total reboot. Um, and um, yeah, and it was it it definitely held true to the games this time, hmm. in my opinion. The first two. Because um, and it's the two. So the, there's a bunch the first- of walking around and <laughs> picking up items yeah. and boring, you know, repetitive. Did you say yes to that? It's, it's a, no. It's okay. a little bit quicker than that. Um, okay. It's a bit Thank more, goodness. More action packed. Um. Yeah. Lots of zombie killing. And um. It, yeah. And that's Do they have cool. to like solve the soup can puzzles in these movies? Like, hey, <laughs> no. All the keys are chess pieces or whatever. There's no puzzle solving, okay. and it's probably good because I don't think that would be very cinematic. No, um, al- it's al- not although, in the games, right? Well, well, I, I don't know, but um, I, I should say though that the character Wesker, who is who, um, I believe in the in the first set of movies was played by the guy in Degrassi who raped Paige. Um, he's not in it, but they they brought the character back with Wesker. And he 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 just sucks again, you know. I mean, he's just a totally worthless character again. That would be my biggest complaint: is they just really just didn't need even. Who need was this that? Guy. The, was he the big bad guy? He was the, the scientist who developed the virus, if I recall correctly, and tested it on his daughter and I believe himself. I've never played the first uh, Resident Evil. Yeah, I don't think that's him. I think I think he was drafted by those guys to like run their evil organization later. Okay. But he, uh, he, he, yeah. But um, he's he's just a worthless character in this one. So that would be my biggest complaint. And he's just a worthless character in all of them. But I, I was gonna say though, overall, I actually think the movie was was pretty badass. And um, the girl who played Claire Redfield, I think, is pretty sexy. I think she's gonna be be a big star. And I also um, well, that's the important part. Was, <laughs> it is the important part. That's the most important part. And and Jill Valentine, I was at first I was bummed out because she is she doesn't look great and. And like her regular pictures, but in the movie she does look really good, and she and she does a good job kind of playing the the sexy midwestern sort of um sort of a, a sassy girl cop girl figure. But I don't know. Overall, it was a decent kind of disaster slash zombie slash horror flick. It stayed really true to the games. Um, I and I thought the cinematography was pretty good. It's pretty good for some jump scares, and. This is, I believe, the the third wave uh, of of zombies coming back into pop culture. The third wave of zombies. You mean like what would the yeah. second wave have been like? The Walking Dead series. That would have been yeah. I go well. It was it was in that era where it started. I mean, I mean that would have been like the early two thousand tens, late aughts. 
you know, was like... Um, yeah, around the Twilight was like, era was like everyone was... There were apps that you could upload your face and it would turn you into a zombie or whatever. I don't know if you can say that that wave has ever really stopped. I mean, zombies have kind of consistently been popular over the last decade well, plus. I mean, The Walking well, Dead were, is still being produced. they were ridiculous for a while, but they stopped being scary. But now I think they're start, they're finally starting to make their, their big comeback. I mean, mm-hmm. I bet you're going to see way more of it in the coming months. I don't know. I don't think that zombies have have dropped out of popularity in the last decade. I mean, if you look at The Walking Dead as a series, it's still being produced. In fact, it is. Uh, they're wrapping production on the original series. They went through. Uh, they're going through eleven seasons, so they're on season eleven now. And I've never seen a single episode. It's a fine drum. Uh, I'm drama. sure it is. Um, it's a you know zombie drama basically. Like a lot of the a lot of the episodes barely have zombies in them. It's more of the humans you know interacting yeah. or whatever. Because I mean, how much can you really do with zombies? <laughs> They've managed to do a lot with them. But they also spin uh, had two spinoff series now from The Walking Dead. So like if it weren't continually popular. They yeah. would have kept it to just the one series, but no, they spun off and they did a show called Fear the Walking Dead, which honestly, the recent um, episodes of that has, in my opinion, was was way better than uh, a lot of season 10 of The Walking Dead. So that one's become a real good show. And I haven't even watched uh, the other one, which I think is called like The World Beyond or something like that. I don't even know what it's called. So there's so many spinoffs of just that one show. And then I think Zack Snyder just came out with a zombie movie a few months ago. I forget, The Army of Dead or something like that. I didn't hear about so, it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of zombies out there. This is just just another zombie movie maybe it was good i don't know he said so i i don't want to think about one of the resident evil movies that actually returns to the video games as being you know, just another zombie movie because I, they, zombies were resident evil back in the 90s before mm-hmm. you know, the zombie wave even happened Turd, thank you so much for the call tonight but most importantly thank you for the reviews of the women in the movies and <laughs> you should just grade them next time like on the scale of one to ten the turd scale <laughs> And thank you turns? for reminding me that this movie exists because I had already forgotten about it and now I have to go see there it this go. weekend. It's Free Talk Live. When Monster Hunter International discovers one of Isaac Newton's wardstones being auctioned off, they decide to steal it and use it to destroy the Chaos God once and for all. But a mysterious thief upends their plan and it soon becomes a race against time as something much older and infinitely more evil awakens in the jungles of South America. Monster Hunter Bloodlines by New York Times bestselling author Larry Correa and Bane Books. Visit MonsterHunterNation.com for more. It's Free Talk Live. I'm excited now because I've been wondering what I was going to do all weekend since it's Thanksgiving weekend, but the thing I was invited to go to, I can't go to now for reasons not worth getting into. My backup plan, I can't go to that because someone else I can't have contact with is going to that. So I'm like, what am I going to do this weekend? Hey, that's okay. There's a movie coming on. I just grab someone and go see that. Sweet. I've been wanting to see the movie anyway, so that works out pretty well. 603-283-6160. You can call in and remind me about anything that I've forgotten in the last two weeks. And that kind of makes me sad because it was just like two weeks ago that I was reminded about the existence of this movie. And mm. in that same time frame, I just completely forgot about it. I well, should have put it on your calendar, but thanks to Turd, now you know. Yeah. 603, I'll forget by the end of the show, I'm sure. <laughs> 603-283-6160 if you want to call in and talk about whatever you want. We're talking about virtual influencers, which the ones I've seen, they look like something's off about them if you look closer. They don't look mm-hmm. like real people. 
So you, you kind of know they're virtual going into... Plus, they're not hiding it. They're like, hey, I'm going to stay 17 forever. forever. Yeah. Interesting age for them to pick, by the way, mm-hmm. rather than 18, which you would expect. But So they're not hiding the fact that these people aren't real. Yeah, and it's a story out of uh, Yahoo News, AFP as well, uh, talking about Asian influencers. But this isn't just an Asian thing. Uh, Bonnie reminded me about a in, quote-unquote influencer named Michaela, who has been around since 2016. And when I pulled up the image, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we have talked about this this issue before. This isn't the first time this, this has come up here on uh, Free Talk Live over the years. And uh, Michaela has, you know, a, a YouTube channel and presumably an Instagram. And is this know. MIQ? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Little Michaela. Yep. And again, this she, one is uh, substantially more convincing, but still not really real. Yeah. Some of know. these, it's like, okay, yeah, there, there's something off here. Uh, but she's got 277,000 followers on her YouTube channel, and Good Lord. God knows how oh, many. Oh, so Instagram. she's actually making videos, and yeah. I refer to her as a she, like mm-hmm. it's an actual person. Right. Interesting. And and so as they point out here in the story, like this is as far as advertisers are concerned, your normal human influencers, they're human. So they have issues. They might not show up to work. They might, you know, get drunk and forget to do something they were supposed to do. They might have a scandal where they I don't know, send a naked photo of themselves to one of their teenage fans or whatever. These things have happened with they some have. of these some of these online influencers. And so if you're a you know, if you're an advertiser and you want to buy these influencers audiences, which is a thing that they do, right? Like these people have sponsors, sure. then it kind of makes more sense to go with a virtual influencer because you know that one's n- probably not going to say something stupid that's going to get your brand but that reduces in hot water. Them. They're not even influencers at that point. They're just adver- They're just advertisements. Well, to the advertiser, that's all that the influencer is. The to the advertiser, the influencer is just a way to reach their audience. That's all. Like, yeah, but that's know. not all an influencer really is. I mean, there's a reason that they're called influencers rather than advertisers, mm-hmm. right? It's because they influence people in a lot of ways, not just what products to buy and what products to like. Sure. You, you wouldn't, I don't think, have a successful virtual influencer by constantly pimping products. You've got to put okay. content out there that's going to interest people. And apparently these things are doing that, right? Like there are people following these accounts and they're interested in, in them and, and presumably interacting with them, right? Because there's still human beings behind the uh, the influencer. It's not completely computer generated as far as the things that it it does. Right? No, but Somebody, once it is, I mean, it could actually chat with every single one of its fans at and the that same can time. Happen. Yeah, and, that is, and there are chat bots and things like that that have been being developed for a very, very long time. So I imagine that. I miss that, Inspirobot. I've never used it. It was a meme, positive. Well, it attempted to create positive memes randomly on the fly, or hmm. and some of them are just like priceless. the kind of like the kind of stuff you'd see on like an office wall. Yes. Okay. But but stupid. And I, I'm gonna. <laughs> You'll pull it up. Okay. So uh, artificial intelligence. So I think apparently the COVID nineteen thing really like spurned some of these or spurred some of these things to come out more so than than previous. Uh, they say uh, Sia Bangkok told AFP virtual influencers are suitable for the new normal. 
Artificial intelligence creations are establishing a foothold worldwide in the lucrative influencer market, which is expected to be worth $13.8 billion in 2021, according to Statista, a data giant. But industry analysts say Asia is where the industry will really boom in the coming decade. Quote, we think Asia will be an area of rapid growth in the sector of virtual influencers. Generation Z is the largest group of Internet users in Asia, and it is a digitally adept generation that is highly familiar with social media and all things virtual, explained a marketing specialist, Nick Baklanov. The number of virtual influencers has more than tripled to 130 in two years, according to Baklanov, who predicted Facebook's investment in the metaverse will mean an industry boom. Quote, virtual influencers are better suited to the role of the first inhabitants of the metaverse than anyone else, he said. The biggest virtual earner is Lil Michaela, the L.A.-based Quote, robot it girl, unquote, who's worked with Prada and Calvin Klein and makes an estimated $7,000 per post. Oh, my God. The World Health Organization recruited Knox Frost, a 21-year-old AI universal adapter from Atlanta, to spread coronavirus safety messages to his 700,000 followers. In Asia, computer-generated pop stars, including Japan's Hatsune Miku and Luo Tiani from China, as well as virtual K-pop groups, Eternity and K-DA, have paved the way for newer, quote, stars as technology improves. Now, it's interesting that, you know, if you go back, we were just kind of talking about video games and video game movies a moment ago. Have you ever seen the Final Fantasy movie? Which one? I didn't know there was more than one. There was one that was released in theaters like two that was plus decades like ago. That was the Spirits Within yeah, or that something, one. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that one because I just heard awful things about it. Um, it generally got panned in its reviews. I thought it was entertaining, but then again, I like the Resident Evil movies too. <laughs> so like, you know, don't look to me if you're looking for like a quality uh, movie check. But I thought it was interesting and, and uh, you know, for whatever its faults were, it was a completely 3d animated movie which obviously wasn't it's that wasn't original i mean toy story or whatever it preceded it but it was different in the way that they were bragging at the time that the character that they had produced the main female lead character was like the most technologically advanced character like computer generated character because like if you looked at toy story you never saw the adults in that movie it was all just toys being animated right like you never actually saw the humans being animated in that in that movie because it was harder to make that you know look right um you know strands of hair have to be animated in the computer and back in the day like that was a pretty computer intensive task to try to make a human look human and she looked pretty good. You know, they had like uh, pictures of her in like bikinis and things like that. They were really pushing this computer animated character and they were acting like this is the future of movies. Like they, it didn't become that, but it right. still might. And this is kind of touching on this where they're getting to the point now where these characters can look very, very convincing. And that character looked pretty good for two decades ago. So they were saying that this was going to be a new thing in movies was that there were there were going to be these digital actors who could be voiced by real actors, but they could do things, obviously, that real actors can't do in the same way that cartoons can do things that standard movies can't do. Right. Like cartoons is where you can really open your uh, your realm of possibilities and do all kinds of crazy stuff. I think a family guy when you say that or whatever. Yeah. You raise an interesting point, though. I, I'm going to have to watch The Spirits with it now because that came out right after Final Fantasy VII hit. And, you mm-hmm. know, 
A lot of people hated Final Fantasy VIII, the game that came next, simply because it wasn't Final Fantasy VII Part Two, mm. And I suspect that's why a lot of people didn't like the movie as well, because be. it, it wasn't Final Fantasy. It wasn't, it wasn't Final Fantasy VII characters. It wasn't the characters they were expecting. Yeah, because that was VII was when Final Fantasy just exploded and became mainstream, so it was most people's first exposure to the series. So it's interesting, though, now we've got... Now it's relatively trivial by comparison. I mean, 20 years ago, it would have been rooms of computers that would have had to have generated you know, these characters... Now you can do a deep fake on, you know, a standard desktop computer. Yeah, didn't James Cameron spend like a million dollars per second on Avatar or something, something like that like just that. for the animation? Yeah. yeah, so where is this going? You've got influencers with hundreds of thousands, if not more than that, followers. Well, it'll depend on where Facebook wants to take it. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live with Aria and Ian tonight, 603-283-6160 if you'd like to join us at 603-283-6160. And we've been telling you about how Intercoin can help any business or organization launch their own token. And now Intercoin has launched its investor token worldwide. So for the first time, it's available on an exchange. This is actually out of date. So available on two exchanges now, mm-hmm. one of which is Uniswap, the other is X Markets, that's exmarkets.com. And X Markets only requires an email address for you to sign up, which is pretty cool. You get to keep your privacy intact. You can then trade other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and stuff for Tether and use that to buy the investor token for Intercoin, which is ITR. Learn more about the Intercoin vision at intercoin.org. That's I N T E R coin.org. And now buy or sell ITR on xmarkets.com, exmarkets.com, or on Uniswap, which I don't have the URL for, but I imagine it's probably... Just go to intercoin.org. It's right there on the front page. Okay, awesome. That's intercoin.org. We're talking about uh, virtual influencers here, which is basically just a a deep fake, except it's up front about the fact that it's a fake. I imagine uh, most of them are, but you don't have to be. No, uh, but what... You're going to be outed at this point in the game, unless someone spends a massive amount of money on it. Mm-hmm. Like, we watched, um, you pulled up a some sort of K-pop band. Yeah, they mentioned a couple of K-pop groups. Uh, Eternity and KDA are uh, computer-generated, and I was like, all right, I want to see what this looks like. I, I like me some K-pop. Uh, and the uh, I don't. I wanted to kill myself every second that I was here. This it. song is not a good K-pop <laughs> okay, song. Number one, this it. is actually the, probably one of the worst songs I've ever heard. And the video is terrible. Uh, the the quality of the the deep fakes is very poor. Like they they can do better than this, and they didn't in this particular case. But well, it's going to get better. Presumably, they only have to you know convince little kids to buy the song or whatever on iTunes. Yeah, and if you are dealing with and again going back to what advertisers want for some for like buying a sponsorship of an Instagram influencer or something like that, you don't want somebody who's controversial. You want somebody who's not going to say things that are going to piss people off and cause a boycott or whatever. And you know, with a with a like a K-pop group, they don't get older. So, you know, these K-pop producers out there constantly having to make new groups because girls are getting older and, you know, they want to do other things with their lives or whatever. And That's so disturbing to me on a human level, though. It's like, I can't imagine how they could, even if they don't get older, how could they maintain any relevancy past a certain period, right? Because most bands don't. 
And it's not aging that does that. It's that people's tastes change over time and society's tastes change over time. This is true, although, I mean, presumably they could change the music style as those tastes change. Also I guess. true. Um, and the girls won't ever fight with each other. They won't ever quit. Or they will, but it'll be staged and they'll make an <laughs> right. entertainment thing out of it. So to get back to the story here from uh, Yahoo and the AFP, we were talking about one of their influencers, Bangkok Naughty Boo, the uh, person who created Bangkok Naughty Boo, Adizak, photographed a model in different locations across the Thailand capital before creating the character's face online. He merged the computer-generated face and the real-life model's body to make his virtual idol. Bangkok Naughty Boo That's has- kind of creepy when he puts it that way. Well, that's how it is. Uh, has already been signed to a leading Thai human modeling agency, while another one named I I Lin has already secured the deal to be the face of a major mobile operator, meaning mobile phone operator. Quote, influencers yield more power in the East and provide more lucrative brand and engagement opportunities. And the idol or as the idol and fandom concepts concepts are more rooted in culture, said a fashion and beauty industry analyst at uh, intelligence company with trouble free pass around the clock work ethic. Because, yeah, they don't need to sleep and easily controlled public personas. The fictional avatars are also a respite for companies weary of reputational damage. Quote, some brands- or we could just stop holding companies responsible for what a person on t- Instagram happens to have in their past when that comes out. Yeah. It's, it's not Nestle's fault that they didn't find out that you know seven years ago this Instagram model actually had an abortion or whatever is upsetting people at the moment. No, it's not Nestle's fault, but that's not to say that they're not going to try to play damage control if that does come about. They shouldn't have to, though, yeah. is what I'm arguing. It's like, okay, that's... That's the Instagram model's fault or the YouTuber's fault or whatever. And even though you probably shouldn't care about it because it was seven years ago when people changed. But, oh, no, she she made a vaguely racist tweet when she was 12. Now we have to condemn her and kick her off social media. Unfortunately, Aria, we don't live in that world. I mean, we were just talking earlier about how some people go to a protest now and they get sued for millions of dollars because someone showed up to fight them. Uh, similarly, you know, whenever somebody does something that's offensive, there's some group that's offended out there and they feel like they need to let everybody know how offended they are. So they're going to call everybody who's associated. We've had people call radio stations of ours and have us dropped off the air because we've said things that are anti-war in the past. So the and- good news is Dave Chappelle nominated for a Grammy. Okay. So that's despite cancel culture doing what they could to cancel him. Yeah. And Netflix didn't cancel him. Yeah. Because he's making a money. And it was you also know? his last Netflix special, so there That's was true. nothing was to cancel. It was pretty canceled. much done. Uh, but they didn't take his special down. They didn't take it off the air. Oh, no, because that means less money for them. Exactly. So... And, and and that's true also of like these influencers. If the influencer is actually making you a bunch of money, well, then you better believe that Nestle or whoever is going to give it a second thought. But if mm. the influencer is just one of a dozen or 50 different you know people on Instagram that you've put your money into to reach their one million followers, then a million followers over here is the same as a million followers over here. And in fact, it's probably a better idea to rotate through these, uh, these people than to keep on the same 12 of them or whatever like if you've got a a limited advertising budget and there's two thousand influencers well you want to buy 20 at a time right and like move move around so like these things are these people are throwaways i mean these companies what was it i was reading about one of these uh sponsors they sponsor like as many of the influencers as they possibly
possibly can. It was like Bang Sodas or something like that, or Ener- Energy Drink, and yeah. like they sponsor a bunch of uh, influencers whose audiences are primarily under the age that can actually purchase the <laughs> the product itself. But uh, nonetheless, they do that. And the point being, like they've got so many of these influencers in their pocket, it's no big deal if they flush a few of them down the the drain. Doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah, and that model has its own issues. I mean, that business model has its own issues. Uh, YouTube did something similar a number of years ago, back when I lived in Mississippi, where if you talked about certain types of things on your channel, then you w- certain advertisers wouldn't they work wouldn't with you. wouldn't sponsor you, yeah. yeah. It, it moved a lot of monetization from videos, and I remember people complaining about oh, the yeah. time that, like, I think the non-believer was one of them saying, this destroys my entire livelihood. Well, why did you put all of your eggs, eggs in, in the YouTube basket. advertising basket in the first yeah. place? Yeah, there were a lot of people complaining about that and using the exact same, you know, whine. Of, oh, my God, what has YouTube done to me? Well, yeah, here you need to have multiple streams of income. Yes. Uh, the, yeah. the people who weren't completely reliant on YouTube to produce their completely within YouTube's terms content, but also not appealing to advertisers, Right. Like, I have no doubt that some of the videos we've done, probably not appealing to people, to advertisers, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to advertise on our videos where we talk about the vaccine doesn't actually appear to do anything. That That's an unpopular message. And it's not going to appeal to most people. So to them, it just limits our reach to the amount of people that we can sell their product to. So interestingly, they say that uh, government restrictions are a reason why these fake influencers uh, or these AI influencers are going to become popular in certain Asian nations where there's a policing of freedom of expression, which we've experienced trying to stream on some of the Asian platforms. Businesses we've may experienced that streaming on American platforms. Businesses may prefer the ability to control everything. Quote, the Chinese government's recent crackdown on exorbitantly paid, vulgar, and immoral influencers is likely to further boost the appeal of virtual influencers, said one expert. He said they won't make impolitic comments or be embroiled in sex scandals. One of them said there's a huge interest in the I. I. Lin character with businesses in pandemic-ravaged Asia looking to innovation and a new world order. A shakeup of the status quo may have some flesh and blood content creators worried, but human influencer Muchima Wachirakomane welcomes the newcomers. Quote, they are freaking cool, exclaimed the 25-year-old who shares glamour shots alongside no-filter, makeup-free looks to her 21,000 followers on Instagram. And that's actually relatively small, right? Like for an influencer, 21,000, that ain't that big. Uh, you know, a million, a few hundred thousand. Now that's, now you're starting to talk about something, but if you I don't have any context for Instagram, I don't either, but just looking at numbers, I mean, 21,000 is not a whole lot, right? Like we, on, it's certainly nothing to write home about. Yeah. And I've got, to, it took me two decades, but I finally got to 20,000 uh, viewers or subscribers on the free keen YouTube channel. And it don't mean Jack diddly as far as like revenue or, you know, or, or views on any new video that you put up there. You've got to get into the hundred, you know, multi hundred thousand plus million territory to really become you know revenue positive on these things yeah and that really shouldn't be why anyone is doing it but i mean hey whatever floats your boat i guess 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in virtual influencers in the metaverse that seems to be what facebook has planned for the world it's free talk live 
Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off. Now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. Of course, your thoughts and calls are welcome. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. That's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. Ian. And we're going to change the subject here, switch gears, talk about something a little different and a little bit more horrifying. Coming to us from the Wall Street Journal, pharmacies in the U.S. have owls of bandages, cold medicine, and toiletries. Now, expect to see aisles of screaming children. What? Yes, millions. This is going to be screaming children going to be normalized if they get their way. Millions of children ages 5 to 11 are in line for COVID-19 vaccine shots. Oh, no. And many aren't happy about it. Wait, they do that at like CVS? Yes. I didn't know that. Just about any pharmacy apparently can give you a COVID-19 shot. I had no idea. I saw it at uh, Hennifer's today when I went to pick up a prescription. I was like, yeah, no, not still not doing it. I mean, Jeez. it's that's super convenient, mm-hmm. but I'm just not interested. And neither are these kids. These are not willing participants, said Beverly Schaefer, owner well, of Catterman's Sandpoint Pharmacy. Most of the, I mean, the, the counter argument is most of the time kids don't want to get a shot. I mean, period. Anytime they don't want to have their blood drawn, they don't want to get a shot, they don't want to go to the dentist. So, I mean, usually the parents have to make these decisions for their kids. May I could be unusual in that regard, but I don't remember kicking and screaming and crying because I had to go to the dentist. Or no, I didn't a, care either as a kid. Or a shot. So it didn't bother me to get uh, to get the shots either. Like it was just a little pinprick. It was no big deal at all. But there are a bunch of kids who are you know little babies about these sorts of things, and I, that's the argument, right, from the parents. Is look, it's my decision. I'm the parent. I take care of this kid. And I want him to get this shot, which I think is a terrible idea, mind you. I think it's absolutely horrible uh, what these parents are doing to these kids because your kid, if they get COVID, is going they're going to be fine. And evidence our, suggests they will be absolutely yeah, fine. Our our uh, former co-host Sam Dodson has uh, been posting a lot on uh, Twitter. He's got he's doing his own thing now, which is, which is pretty cool. Uh, he's got like his own little internet show that he's doing, and when I say little, I mean he's got more live viewers than we do. Awesome. Uh, but uh, he's he's been following this stuff really closely and keeps posting story after story after story of quote unquote coincidences that keep happening with people who get the vaccine. Just like example after example of people who are coming down with all kinds of really bad 
health problems and or dying uh, and including a bunch of children like kids that should not be having blood clots etc etc are having these things and it's like if this isn't blood clearly clots are supposed to be kind of rare aren't they yeah especially amongst healthy children yeah so. i mean you're you're only supposed to worry about blood clots if you're like at risk of getting blood clots because of your lifestyle like being a smoker yeah. that increases your chance of getting blood clots being on estrogen also does but now we're seeing, uh, well, not we, but those in the healthcare field. Nikki is uh, a regular co-host here on Free Talk Live who just had to leave her nursing job because she won't get the vaccine. Uh, she saw a tremendous increase, and she's not alone. Tr- increase in people with these, these maladies. So Dr. Schaefer and other pharmacists are citing rule number one, don't let the kids see the needle, and second, be quick about it. Michelle Belcher, the second-generation owner of a different pharmacy, has empathy from her own childhood fear of injections. She found ice cream and old-fashioned fountain drinks a tested remedy. I haven't had an instance where the tears didn't quickly stop. Sometimes parents are the pain. The thing that frosts my cookies is, after we wrestled a kid to the ground, is when the parent says, You're so great, we'll buy you a treat in the store. So these pharmacists are wrestling kids to the ground in order to inject them with this thing. And the parent is then going, oh, you're doing great, kid. Wrestling with the pharmacist, which should never be happening. And then rewarding them with ice cream or whatever. All pharmacists receive 20 hours of training on inoculations during their standard six-year course of study. I don't, I, I don't have any frame of reference on whether or not that's a long time look if this were me in that position and obviously i would not be you know working in that position generally but if i were in a position like that and they're like oh today you're gonna have to hold children down (laughs) and force something into their veins as they scream and cry uh i'd be like no i'm walking out this is not a job that i want this is wrong like it's it's fine if the kid's just sitting there quietly and the parent has them under control like to me it's the parent's job to control their children not the right. staff i i would absolutely agree with that and luckily some of these pharmacists seem to agree as well mm-hmm. not all are eager to jab young frightened patients one pharmacist dr graves says you're sticking them with a the pointy object in their arm that's always scary and it may be difficult right Pharmacists are going to range. And you've got a damn mask on, too. Like, as though it already weren't an intimidating enough experience for these scared children going into a doctor or dentist or whatever. Now you can't even see the guy's face. Like, it used to be they'd smile and they've got their, like, there's certain dentists that have a whole thing about kids that are afraid or whatever. Like, they have a whole program, like, give them a toy or, you know, teddy bear or whatever the hell. Well, now this person's got, like, a mask on, so it's even more creepy and intimidating than it's ever been. They show a picture here, and I can't imagine what kind of message they were trying to convey with this image of a doctor dressed as uh, what appears to be Superman, best as I can tell, with two parents holding a child as the child cries and gets a vaccine. Mm. And the child not wearing their mask properly, as you would expect, because it's like probably... uh, Oh, it's a seven-year-old. Mayank Amen, owner... I mean, what exactly... Two parents forcibly restraining their child while someone dressed as a superhero injects them with a thing. That's not a good look. But they're advertising like, look how hard this doctor is working. The, it's horrifying. The parents, the, the child is being tortured. Whether the parents view it that way or whether the doctor views it that way or not, from the experience of the child, that they're being tortured against their will. 
Mayak Amin, owner of the Skipback Pharmacy outside of Philadelphia, must rank near the top. He said he had a child crying for 30 minutes during the first days of pediatric COVID-19 vaccination. The sad scene gave him ideas for how best to stage a large-scale vaccination clinic. He organized one at a nearby school earlier this year and gave each child a color-coded wristband based on what parents said about the likelihood of their child throwing a fit. The screamers were directed to a VIP lounge so that even if they scream and cry, it doesn't scare the The others. others. The clinic featured live music and jugglers and the vaccinators wore superhero capes. (laughs) This is so, like, I don't know, dystopian? This is so crazy. The post-shot waiting room had a librarian reading stories, a magician, and the chance to write a thank you note to vaccine developers. (laughs) You know, (laughs) have you seen any of the posts on uh, social media with, like, the clown world label on there? Oh, yeah. Like, this is literally like, all right, kids, line up. We got vaccines for you. Here's the juggler over here, a magician. Yeah, it's it's really cringy. Before the pandemic, Pennsylvania and New York were among 22 states that restricted the types of vaccines pharmacists could give to patients under 18. But in August of 2020, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services issued an amendment overruling the state-based limits, recognizing that many people had stopped making routine doctor visits either out of fear or COVID-19 or because of lockdown restrictions. I'm just surprised they allowed the possibility that it was because of lockdown restrictions that kept people from going to the doctor. Mm -hmm. About 70% of COVID-19 shots have been at pharmacies. And more than 70? Yes. 70? Okay. And more than 60% of vaccinated adolescents received their shot through a pharmacy. Mm. About three, it gets into some stats here that I'm I'm skipping because it's boring. Mark Weedle, a pharmacist who lives near St. Louis, said he had, he was experienced giving flu and COVID nineteen shots to older people, but he recently learned his preference after jabbing his five year old son and more than one hundred other children at a clinic on a high school campus. Vaccinating five year olds is not necessarily in my wheelhouse. Give me ninety year old people all day long. Mm-hmm. So they're as you said, they're creating clown world out there with. Jugglers, magicians, music, a VIP lounge where they can go and scream all they want, and it's not going to change anything. They're still getting the vaccine, all to inoculate children against a disease that won't kill them in the first place. By the way, uh, Sam, our former co-host, his handle on Twitter is at to the lifeboats. In case you want to check him out, there is more coming up, and you're invited to share your thoughts and opinions. Six zero three two eight three six one six zero. I don't think we should be jabbing kids against their will, but maybe I'm alone in that regard. important to you. Take control of the airwaves and share your opinions. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to do that. That's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And I want to tell you about the BitBox. It's a 100% open source hardware wallet, and that allows it to mitigate a lot of the problems that other hardware wallets sometimes have. I mean, in this case, even if you can't personally review the code, you can be reasonably sure that someone who can review it has checked it out and everything seems to be legit. You don't get that with a lot of hardware wallets, which is why we're giving one away here on Free Talk Live probably relatively soon, like in the next week or two, I would imagine, because this, okay. 
this one giveaway has been going on for nearly a month now. And nah, not quite. Has it, really? I think so. Okay. I, I don't recall, but I don't recall exactly when it started. I could probably look and check. But anyway, we got two more of these things to give, to give away. So let's get this first one out of the way in the nearest future. Yeah, yeah. You can enter the contest. All you have to do is subscribe to our Odyssey channel, which we talked about earlier, video.freetalklive.com. Take a screenshot of that, or if you're technologically inept, use your phone to take a picture of it. And then send that picture or screenshot to me on our uh, chat on our social media server at social.freetalklive.com. That will set you that will give you the links that you need, the steps that you need to actually set up the software and use it. And that will get you in. And we'll be choosing a winner at random on an upcoming episode of Freer Talk Live. But if you don't want to take your chances in a giveaway, you can go to box.freetalklive.com. Use code FTL to get 5% off. That's box.freetalklive.com. Now, I had this article here yesterday that I really wanted to get into. And there was we ended up talking about something way more interesting, like looking, the toad venom. Yeah, the toad venom. Well, psychedelics in general are always yeah, more a good interesting. Topic yeah. From time to time. This is seven things. I would do if I wanted to keep poor people poor. And mm-hmm. that's the, the... Like if you were the government. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, presumably, yeah. Yeah. And that's the perspective of the author here. It's not me. I didn't write this, but that's the perspective they chose to use for this. Because, like, let's be clear. I mean, I have not seen this list, so I, I just... That's why I said if you were the government, because ultimately it's the government system, the government gang, that really puts most of the... the barriers in place yes. between poor people and creating wealth for themselves they're yeah, the, the natural ones... state of poor people is to become wealthy if they want to work for it yeah if you had the freedom to like create your own business in your own home and not have to ask a government gangster's permission to do so you'd get a lot wealthier a lot faster but because the government gang stands in the way and demands licensing and obedience and hoop jumping. It gets to the point where a lot of people are like, you know what, screw it. I'll just work a crappy job instead of try to jump through all these dumb hoops for this government. That's an excellent point, and it's what this author starts with. For starters, number one, I would advocate for a robust and ever-expanding welfare state. Programs like Medicaid, food mm-hmm. stamps, unemployment insurance, etc. I would recognize that an effective recipe for keeping people poor is to create incentives that push them into decisions that prevent them from climbing out of poverty. Case in point, a 2012 study by Pennsylvania's Secretary of Public Welfare analyzed the decisions confronting individuals and families enrolled in various government welfare programs. Specifically, the study concluded that in the case of a single mother with two children ages 1 and 4 earning $29,000 a year through work, would be eligible for government benefits equivalent to roughly an additional $28,000. But this scenario puts the woman in a bind. If she finds a better job paying more or picks up more hours, she risks losing substantial amounts of benefits. So she just stays right where she's at. She would make her family financially worse off, even though her paycheck would be bigger. Mm. Just to come out even once taxes are factored in, she would need to find work paying about $69,000 a year to compensate for the lost welfare benefits. Right, which is a jump that most people are not going to make. You're not going to jump and pay from 29000 to 69000 No, especially not a low-skill worker. Right. This scenario is commonly referred to as the welfare cliff. Confronted with this situation, many individuals understandably opt to continue receiving the government benefits. Mm-hmm. Rather than help individuals, the the perverse economic incentives created by the social safety net trap aid recipients on welfare. And the longer they remain out of the workforce or at lower levels of employment, 
the less employable they become. Moreover, there is the impact the welfare state has on the family unit. Welfare programs break up families by replacing a father's paycheck with a government check and benefits. Nationally, since LBJ's Great Society ratcheted up government welfare programs in the mid-60s, the rate of unmarried births has tripled. I don't see any, I, I don't know what connection they're trying to make there. I don't uh, know the if suggestion many... is that women are incentivized to have children so they can get more welfare, whether or not they oh, actually have okay. a dad. I, I understand now. So it's not actually replacing the father's paycheck to the father. It's replacing the income for the mother with government benefits instead Correct. of the father. Okay. So she doesn't need the dad. She can just get knocked up and have another child and get a bigger paycheck from the government. In my home state of North Carolina... They're called welfare queens. They are. Yeah. Families are roughly five times as likely to be in poverty when there is no father in the home. Number two, if I wanted to keep poor people poor, I would also finance the welfare state poverty trap through punitive taxes on the job and wealth creators of society. The key ingredient to economic growth and thus a higher standard of living for society's poor is through productivity gains made possible by investment. High marginal taxes on profitable companies and small businesses alike discourage investment. As businesses decide whether to 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 either not expand or take their businesses to more investment-friendly countries, job opportunities dry up. Mm-hmm. Which is... I, I don't even know why they got involved in investing here. It's obvious that a lot of companies are never going to repre- repatriate some of their dollars. I think Apple is one of them because the amount of taxes they would pay... In bringing that money back into the United States just isn't worth it to them. And they could, in theory, use that money to hire people or, you know, improve customer service or whatever. And they're just not going to do it. Why? Why should they? I mean, it's the regulatory environment is much more preferable in another place. I mean, you can open up a factory for a fraction of the cost. You can, uh, you know, answer, have a phone answering system or whatever with a bunch of operators for a fraction of the cost. There's no reason to do that stuff in the U.S. And then you eliminate the poor in another country Mm -hmm. because you're now giving them jobs and you're paying them to do something. And that's productive and that gives them wealth, Mm -hmm. which they can use to better their own lives and lifts themselves up out of poverty. If I also number three, I would also advocate for higher government enforced minimum wages. The law of supply and demand tells us that the higher the price of a good or service, the less of it will be demanded. All other things being equal, of course. The the demand for low-skilled labor is no exception. Higher minimum wages will price more and more low-skilled people out of the labor market entirely. I've been talking about this for years. This is the reason I want to see the minimum wage abolished, right? It's Mm -hmm. just a price floor on the cost of labor. Well, look at what's happened recently. I mean, no one is getting paid the minimum wage now unless they, you know, just are so lazy they don't want to quit their job because you can go out and get a fast food job or a grocery store clerk job for 15 bucks an hour around here pretty much anywhere in uh, in Keene, New Hampshire. I and don't know about the rest to, of the country, but I mean, based on what we've talked about before, it seems to be true of most of the country. Like your average McDonald's in the South used to start you out at minimum wage, but now they just can't. Because, because of market competition driving wages up on its own. Well, uh, inter- and a lack of employment. Well, interestingly, there's uh, no minimum wage in New Hampshire. New Hampshire only follows the federal minimum wage. So when we secede, we will have no minimum wage. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. What do you think we could do better to help keep poor people poor? This author has more ideas. There's more coming up. 
Talk Live with Aria and Ian, and you can join us, 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. That's 603-283-6160, talking about ways to keep people poor, because the United States government, many years ago, declared a war on poverty. And the, <laughs> it's worked about as well as a war on drugs. Yes. One thing that it has taught me is that if you want more poverty... You let the government declare war on it. If you mm-hmm. want more drugs, you let the government declare war on it. Right. If you want more terrorism, perhaps not in the U.S., but around the world, you let the U.S. government declare war on it. Anything you want more of, just let the government declare war on it. Well, and why does the government gang want more poverty? I mean, you would think that because at least- the poorer everyone else is, the richer they are. Well, and also if. People are poor, and as they were talking about in the first couple examples, what is it, fee that you're getting this from? It is Foundation fee. for Economic Education. Uh, that you know, keep people on welfare, you keep them dependent, you keep them mm. voting for you. So a welfare, uh, like a host of welfare recipients, means a host of voters for the people who are keeping those people there. At the same time, they get to act like they're helping those people, when in the reality, as we pointed out, they're actually keeping them down, they're keeping them away from creating real wealth for themselves that they can actually rely on to take care of their family on into the future instead of relying on a government check, which, although most people believe the government will be there tomorrow to cut that check, there's no guarantee. It's not looking very good for the U.S. government these days. Meanwhile, higher wages... Will attract more job seekers willing to supply their labor at the higher price. Now he he means higher wages being offered by the employer voluntarily. He doesn't mean a higher minimum wage. He pointed out previously mm-hmm. that a higher minimum wage is going to put more and more low skilled people out of the labor market. Yeah, that does it every time. But a higher wage, just in general, attracts more job seekers who are willing to supply their labor at that price point. Right. Employers would be able to provide would be able to be more selective in their hiring. This article seems like it must be out of date because employers no August 26, 2018. Oh yeah, it's severely out of date. Well, then. I mean it's still I mean th- this isn't out of date information. This well, is the labor st- game has changed substantially where you can get a job making more money than you did 2 years ago mm-hmm. at entry level. If you have a pulse. Oh, that's true. But these are still um, solid reasons. Like these are true. true economic statements that do not change no matter what the economic sit- you know, situation is. But this is still good information. So employers were selective in their hiring prior to, co- prior to COVID-19. Yeah, but not anymore. Yeah, now they kind of can't If you can fog be. a mirror, you're going you're gonna to get hired. They've actually stopped doing drug tests at some places. Yep. Uh, so. Some I've heard rumors of some of these places advertising that they don't do drug tests. Wouldn't surprise me. They really need people. So the lower skilled job seekers will be crowded out of these opportunities by higher skilled, less needy candidates. Minimum wage laws are an effective tool to cut off the bottom rung of the career ladder yes. for those most in need of establishing work experience. It's also a really good way of making a larger amount of people equally poor. Like mm-hmm. when they talked about raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, I was working as a slot tech in Mississippi making like 13 something dollars an hour. Right. And I was against it. People were like, but you're going to make a dollar $1.25 more per hour or whatever. It's like, I understand that, right? Mm-hmm. And that sounds good. But this other person here, this person who isn't a college graduate trained to work on slot machines, is going to make the same amount of money that I make. He's not going to be as wealthy as I am. 
I'm going to become as poor as he is. Well, the other way to look at that is what about everybody who's get, who was getting paid $15 an hour already? Right. Same you know? same problem for them. Then all of a sudden, these newbies that come, they've been there for five, six, seven years or whatever. They're getting paid 15 bucks an hour. Now, everybody that just walked in the front door is getting the exact same amount of money as them. What an insult. Well, now, the know? convenience store person selling cigarettes is getting the same pay as them. Right. And all of that money is is going to buy less because in order to pay for these wage increases, employers have to raise. I mean, businesses have to raise prices, which doesn't help me any. I'm only getting a dollar twenty five per more, but suddenly the loaf of a price price of everything is four dollars more. That doesn't help me at all. It makes me poorer. And it doesn't That's help right. that person who was making seven fifty an hour either. And this is another way they keep poor people poor is the inflation jacks up the cost of living and it's yeah. the poor that suffer the most. Because if you're just rolling in cash, then okay, whatever. You just you know have to spend an extra hundred dollars at the grocery store. It's no big deal. But for somebody who's barely getting the bills paid and barely putting food on the table, that could be the difference between, you know, getting on welfare or not. And everyone should be able to understand this, right? Why stop at fifteen dollars? Let's let's just go extreme here. Say let's raise the minimum wage to ten thousand dollars per hour. It sounds absurd, right? Mm-hmm. But let's go with that. What would happen? It it would inflate the currency. Everyone would become poor. Prices would skyrocket. Sure would. And everyone would be equally poor because no one makes ten thousand dollars an hour except like CEOs. Right now, you're going to have to pay ten thousand dollars to get your happy meal. Yes, you know. <laughs> So that that rule doesn't change just because you only increase the minimum wage by ten dollars. All right. of those effects still happen. They're just not as noticeable, and they don't look as drastic as it would if we yeah. raise the minimum wage to ten thousand dollars per and hour. And it wins those politicians brownie points. That's what all this is all about. It's all about getting them reelected. And it's all about feeling good for the people on the left who support these policies because mm-hmm. they don't they don't care about the long term consequences. They don't care about the they don't want to hear about prices. it. That's true. They, they don't want to hear anything about it, and it's because they, they don't care about reality. They care about feeling good yep. about themselves. Yeah, oh, we did something for the poor. Yes, and that's all that matters to them. As long as they walk away from this feeling like they did something good for someone else, they don't care if that someone else is being sentenced to a lifetime of poverty as a result of that. As long as they can delude themselves into believing that it was a good thing, they're happy. Number four. I would also support government green energy initiatives that make energy more expensive. State and federal initiatives that mandate more expensive renewable energy mean that. In the words of President Obama, utility bills necessarily skyrocket. Poor people trying to scrape by just to stay even cannot afford higher electricity bills. Mm -hmm. And what does he mean by poor people? You may be wondering, well, something like 50% of roughly half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And I don't remember the average American debt at this point. I think it was a few tens of thousands of dollars. No, it was. I'll look it up. It was something like a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. You're looking it up. So that's, I think that was for a household or something like that. Okay, but that's what we mean by poor people. It's roughly half Jesus. the American population. Ninety thousand four hundred sixty dollars says average American. Doesn't say household. I I thought it was fairly high. Wow. Yeah, that's the average American's debt. So that includes credit cards, personal loans, mortgages, and student debt. On top of living paycheck to paycheck like the average American does. Mm. You, higher utility bills, definitely not something they can handle. Number five, I would I would see to it that government imposes many costly regulations. Oh, let's, before we go on, uh, government 
has a large effect on utility prices, not just because they regulate, but also because they restrict the market as well, right? So, like a lot of these companies that are offering power have to go to the government to ask them for permission to change anything. Right, so in California, well, they're one, using public areas to you know run their power cables and stuff. Right, is yes. that the argument that the government uses to require this sort of thing? They give them franchise deals or whatever. Yeah, there's there's a lot of regulation. So a power company in most states can't just raise the rates. They can't just you know oh we need more money we got to raise the rates. No, they have to go to the state and they have to beg the state permission. And there's so many regulations and controls, and you can't just go and start your own power company, build a little nuclear reactor to power your house or to power the entire neighborhood. Which you should be able to do. I know it sounds crazy, but the average person who is going to blow up your home isn't going to be capable of nuclear fission in the first place. Yeah, and actually there are things like this that have been developed. There are like little nuclear reactors that can like power an entire neighborhood and they're the size of like a little you know box a cube or whatever that you can just put out in the yard somewhere and i want one we can't have it because of the state and yeah, think about uh, how decentralized power could be yeah that would be amazing yeah power your entire neighborhood and right. have a couple of them and then one fails you're all right yeah you, you know and your neighbors pitch in together hey we're gonna have you know basically free power from now on let's no, buy ourselves a power we plant. have to use a centralized monopoly because of the state 603-283-6160 it's free talk live Free Talk Live. I want to say thank you to Dominique Bashford, a name that I had to read like six or seven times today when I was doing all of this because it's remarkably close to the name of a girl that I went to school with. And I never did remember her actual last name, but it wasn't spelled the same way as Dominique was. So that ultimately gave it away. But it sounds almost exactly the same in my head. But anyway, that's the nice amplifier. This means that Dominic is a member of the AMPS program. You can find it at amps.freetalklive.com. It stands for Advertise, Market, and Pro- Advertise, Market, Promote, and Support. So if you like this show, if you like what we do, the ideas of liberty reaching more ears, more radio stations, more podcast downloads, all of that awesome stuff, you may want to join the AMPS program. It only costs 5 bucks per month. That gets you in. But... Dominic is a gold level member, which means that Dominic is paying $10 per month to the AMPS program. Does come with a number of cool little perks, but really the reason you should join is because you want to support the show. That's amps.freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones. We have Bob calling from West Virginia. Bob, you're on Free Talk Live. Well, thank you. Uh, I've read uh, some stuff in various publications, and one was by Daniel Horowitz on November 9th, 2021 in regards to COVID-19 injections for uh, young folks under the age of 18. And uh, one of the scenarios in a COVID-19, uh, what is it, to the FDA, Pfizer's FDA briefing document prepared for the October 25th meeting was an admission that even according to the company's own unverified misleading math, there is a scenario where there would be more hospitalizations among children for myocarditis, uh, which is the hardening of the heart sac, by the way, mm. and it causes uh, extreme complications and hospitalized. Just one side effect, okay, from uh, COVID-19. Right. And, it's, um, and, and, and it predicts more excess hospitalizations due to vaccine-related 
uh, myocarditis, pericarditis, compared to uh, prevented hospitalizations due to COVID-19. In other words, you give them a shot, they're going to be hospitalized at a greater rate than if they didn't take the shot itself. Well, this is this uh, is almost obvious, right? How many, how many five to eleven year olds have been hospitalized with COVID nineteen since COVID nineteen came into existence? Much less, how many have died of COVID nineteen? Uh, I believe it was three hundred and seventy six had died, but that was uh, quote on quote obese, yeah, obese. Well, and, even obesity uh, should be. I, I don't want to throw out that excuse over like a six year old because. Even your no, most I'm obese not, six-year-old isn't likely to die of obesity. No, I'm saying that it's it accompanies. It, it's not COVID nineteen that did it. Right, they're it saying is, it's COVID nineteen, the but there's all kinds of other things. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Another, I, I part understand is, that. I'm just saying that regardless of being obese, or, I mean, regardless of having COVID nineteen or not, obesity isn't going to kill a six-year-old. No, I, it's not. Of course not. Uh, not necessarily. But um, uh, my other piece of, of information is conflating investment capital with income. Uh, basically, they're saying that if, you, uh, if you're not making more than $400,000 a year, we are not going to tax you. But okay, you disregard... switch subject here to talking about how we keep poor people poor. That's right. Okay. Oh, yeah, poor people poor, yeah. Poor people poor is important. They're conflating investment capital with income. What they're doing is they're lying to these people. Oh, well, you're not going to tax you. You make less than $400,000 a year. But they forget that a plurality of employee, employers uh, who are uh, small business folks, there's a plurality of small businesses that are run from the employer's personal income. Mm-hmm. And that's the pool from which they draw. Uh, uh, they run the business. They pay the payroll. They pay the benefits from, and that's basically the seed corn. Basically, we're now eating the seed corn, but they neglect that fact by saying, oh, don't worry, folks, you people that work for this guy, we're going to tax the crud out of him, and we're going to make it so that he can't pay you as much money, he can't hire more people, he can't maintain his machinery, he cannot do Yeah, you're making a good point. What what you're saying here is that the government gang loves to look, make it loves to appeal to a certain class of individuals by attacking the rich like oh like you're saying biden oh don't worry about it you know we're only going to go after the richest of the rich and of course there's people like yeah get the rich people and it's like well wait a minute those are the people who are paying you and small business owners it's not uncommon for those people to have you know $400,000 a year in in revenue or whatever right so they're going to hit right. them and that means that those people aren't going to be able to pay their employees that's the point you're making that's one of the points yeah. another one is we uh the medium-sized business businesses are using stocks bonds mutual funds and other commercial paper to uh grow their business with and they're going to try to tax as if they can tax a piece of paper in your portfolio before you even have have uh, verified its value by selling it now that hasn't and that hasn't passed yet right that's just a proposal that is in the bill that they wish to pass. Is it? Okay. Is that, that the is build, one, build Back Better, that one? That's Build Back Bankrupt, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for the call tonight, yeah. Bill. I'm certainly, hoping, I mean, we, I'm certainly hoping we don't see any of this nonsense getting passed because it's... Uh, that's why they won't pass it. I mean, they're in charge. They are, and they do love inflating the currency, and this is just yet another excuse for them. 
We still got two more of these bullet points to get through All real right. quick, though, on how to keep poor people poor. Number five, of course, was increasing regulatory burden. We've we've covered that plenty, I think. Yep. Number six, I would support quantitative easing policies, meaning inflate the money supply. Under such programs, the Federal Reserve creates money out of thin air. The inflated money supply then erodes the value of the dollar sitting in your wallet yes. or bank account. Now, to be fair, plenty of poor people don't have dollars in their bank accounts because, well, but the ones they're, they're going poor. to get paid this coming. <laughs> Payday yeah. are still affected. They make them worth less, and it definitely still affects the poor because prices rise when you print money, and that's what we're seeing happen. Uh, you know, It's happening in a much more obvious way now because they're printing in a much larger uh, way, and so that hurts the poor more than it does the rich because, like I said before, you, you know, a rich person can afford to drop another $100 on a grocery store run, but a poor person can't. The poor are hit hardest by this inflation because their limited skill set makes it far more difficult for their incomes to keep up with the rising cost of living. Right. Especially when you factor in that the government benefits they get for making $29,000 an hour or whatever, I mean, a year, mean they have to basically make almost two and a half times that if they want to actually move ahead in the world. They have to make like 69000 or something like that. Yeah, and wages will rise in an inflationary environment, but always it, it trails yes. the inflation itself. So you always have a, you're behind the ball as far as keeping up with uh, the cost of living. Well, because before the employers, I mean, that's always going to be the case, because before the employers can increase your wages, they have to make more money by That's increasing right. the prices. Correct. So that delay is almost built into the system. Yep. Lastly, I would impose heavy tariffs on foreign goods in order to limit imports. Mm. Sure, the domestic... Keep prices high. Yes. Or mm-hmm. just keep the ships out there in the coat or right. in the oceans floating out there, not bringing the goods in. Sure, the domestic industries protected from competition by these tariffs would prosper, but at what cost? For example, tariffs on foreign steel may help... The 170,000 Americans employed by the steel industry, but higher steel prices will harm those industries using steel as inputs and the 6.5 million workers they employ. Ultimately, more jobs will be destroyed than saved. Yeah, speaking of destroying jobs and the ships out at the uh, the ports, remember we talked about some of the details on that. Uh, It was that one of the problems is even if they could move the cargo containers off the ships, there aren't enough truckers waiting to pick them up. Because it was something like 14 containers uh, It was a containers way to too every high truck. number. Considering like, that some of these containers probably have to get taken, you know, 200 miles to a train station or whatever. Yeah. And now Joe Biden, according to the AP, is going to require essential non-resident travelers crossing U.S. land borders, such as truck drivers... To be fully vaccinated beginning on January 22nd. So if you thought there was already a supply issue with truckers being able to move things from here to there, well now, in order to get your product across the border, which, hmm, there sure are a lot of fruits and vegetables that come across the Mexican-American-U.S. border, and there's all kinds of things manufactured in, uh, in Mexico as well. Well, now all those shippers in Mexico are going to have to have vaccinated truck drivers in order to get their products across. Which is only going to, as you point out, further decrease the amount of supply coming into the United States. Correct. It's almost like all of the things that people would expect to happen during a pandemic, you know, the shutting down of supply lines, hospitals being overwhelmed, all of those sorts of things are happening now. 
not as a result of a pandemic, no, but, but as a direct policy. result of government action. Oh, yeah. Speaking of hospitals shutting down, Mount Sinai's Long Beach Emergency Department has closed its doors temporarily because of a nurse, uh, nurse staffing shortage. I had a number of articles we didn't get into tonight yeah. about hospitals being overwhelmed. It's like, well, you just fired like a quarter of your staff, so... You Surprise. don't have as many people now to deal with that. You you manufactured this crisis. You can chat with us about this. In the meantime, we'll be back same time tomorrow. You can find us at chat.freetalklive.com.